0: Welcome to the Strip Till Farmer podcast brought to you by Sound Agriculture. Great to have you with us as always. My name is Noah Newman, technology editor. Today we're catching up with Eric Reed, who farms in the Alabama Tennessee border. Reed shares the keys to his record breaking success and also gives us a sneak peek of his upcoming presentation at the National Strip Till Conference in Bloomington, Illinois. Well, Eric, thanks for taking the time to join us. I know it's a really busy time of the year for you. Uh, for, for our audience who's not familiar with you, just I'll give you the time now to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into farming, where you're located, a little bit about your operation and so forth.
1: Yeah, yeah. My name is Eric Reed. Uh I farm down on the state line uh, in Tennessee, but we also farm in Alabama. We're directly on the state line. So uh, when people ask me where I'm from, I, I I automatically register them to uh, Jack Daniel's Distillery. Uh, I'm, I'm about 20 minutes from Jack Daniel's. So everybody knows Jack. So, oh, yeah. Uh, that's the easiest way I know how to put it. But on that northern Alabama, southern Tennessee, my farm, both sites, like I said, three counties. We're, we're pretty scattered out. My wife uh, owns a cotton gin with her brother. So cotton is our number one crop. Starting back about uh, seven years ago, I started growing corn uh, for rotation purposes, and uh, we started dabbling in a little bit of beans also. Like I said, I was, I was primarily 100% on cotton. You can't run corn through a cotton gin, so that's where we were. And I started losing some land due to not rotating. You know, there's other grain farmers in the area that was rotating. These landlords were seeing that. All of a sudden, cotton got a bad name. You're washing the ground away, dot and die. It was a sales pitch is all it was. So I started growing corn about seven years ago, and uh, the first couple of years was just mediocre. I mean, 180 bushel, couldn't get over that hump, and uh, I figured out real quick that growing corn is not as easy as they say it is, number one. Number two, I figured out I had to go to work. And by that, I mean, I had to figure out how to make more on less. And there was no playbook for this. And by the way, let me back up a little bit. I, I'm a first-generation farmer. I did not grow up in farming. Uh, I worked for a guy straight out of high school for about 15 years, and he bankrupt. When he bankrupt, I kind of stepped in and uh, started from there. He was a, uh, He was a cotton farmer primarily also. So I had very little experience with grain. The first, Like I said, the first two years were meteor ochre, and uh, I decided I'm, I'm going to have to do some leg work here to get these yields up. This is not going to work. I mean, we can't have this mentality of I'm growing it just because so I can put organic matter back into the soil. I had to break that mentality. So I got to do a lot of research and whatnot and, you know, just micromanaged myself. There was no playbook for this. I had very little help. And the following year, we went 328 bushels in Tennessee, 316 bushels in Alabama, wow. and went 90 bushel soybeans uh, in Tennessee. That was the first year they had a contest there. So we set the Alabama dry land record at 316, which has not been touched to date. Uh, we went 329 bushels in Tennessee, one state there this is dryland corn now no irrigation first year they had the soybean contest we wanted to when i did that that was a pretty <laughs> pretty astonishing feat that we'd done and i was like you know you hear the term all the time once you get on top of the ladder there's nowhere to go but straight to the bottom and i told my wife i said well we're up here on the top we got to stay on the top now Ooh. we just started micro managing everything carrying the corn over to the cotton, the cotton over to the beans. We started managing all three crops with high management practices. We got totally away from dry fertilizer. We went to nothing but chicken litter, nothing but what the planter carried on it also. And uh, we've been at the top ever since. You know, we we had a bad year last year and we're still at the top. It goes back to having a plan, sticking with your plan, even though the weather It's kicking you in your tail. Stay with your plan. Don't deviate. Listen to what the crop is telling you to do and do it. Be a student of the crop. That crop's telling you what to do. If you're smart enough to read that crop and understand, you know, what it's telling you at what times and and just do it. It doesn't matter what mother nature is doing. Just just do it. It, It's going to reward you. We focus, you know, big on stress mitigators trying to keep the stress off that plant because you never want that plant, regardless of what crop it is, you never want that plant to have a bad day because when it has a bad day, it has a real bad day. So we just we just try to never, ever let it have a bad day. We, we never give up on the crop. We work it all the way through. You know, some people, you know, they lay their corn by and they're going to the beach. You see them, they put pictures yeah. on Facebook. Hey, we're at the beach drinking cold beer, dah, dah, dah. <laughs> And here I am still running through this corn or still running through the beans or whatever, you know. We'll make six or seven trips through the corn before it gets the tassel and then we go to the helicopter. So, I mean, we're, we're constantly working in the crop. And that's the only way you get into this next level club. And people ask me all the time, you know, they're hunting for this silver bullet. There is no silver bullet. It is a executed plan. When you break, and I've learned this through NCGA in several years of this, when you break the 275-bushel mark, every bushel after that is a knock-down, drag-out, cat fight to get one more bushel. Interesting.
0: And I never thought of it that
1: way. It's something about that threshold, and that's the threshold. I'm telling you, the 275 mark, when you hit that mark, to grab one more bushel is just astronomical. I mean, just a witch hunt, basically. You know, we've stayed in, in the 300 Club for, lower ever since we've been in there.
0: Let's burn a quick time out and share a message from our sponsor, Sound Agriculture. Source provides 25 pounds of nitrogen and 25 pounds of phosphorus, leading to more productivity and supporting your fertilizer reduction goals. This foliar applied biochemistry has a low use rate and is tank mix compatible? Getting a free ride into the field? Check out Source. It's like caffeine for microbes. Learn more at www.sound.ag. Now back to the conversation. And as you were telling me, where you farm, you you have a lot of challenging conditions. You know, I mean, the, the soils you said is red, like a dirt track, and you're going to be sharing a lot of that at the National strip Tillage Conference in your session, Is how yep. to make strip-till and high-yielding success in, in uh, less-than-ideal conditions. So what can we expect from your presentation?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had several things written down here, you know. I was going to go over a list, you know, the impacts of uh, long-term no-till. Uh, that was one of them I had on my mind. Nutrient stratification was one. Soil health, soil structure, Soil biology, you know, not, like I said, don't be adding foreign biology to your soil. That's the number one no-no rule. Uh, it will cause you more damage than it will do good. You will kill off your biology. Uh, we've actually seen it. Here's twice it happened. You know, uh, toxicity of dry fertilizer, I'm against it. Salt levels are extremely high. I don't like it. I think it does more damage than it does good. You know, in some places, can't get chicken litter. Uh, I understand that. But you need to source out some ahead of time. There's there's places you can get it, I promise you. You need to remember this thing from May 1 to May 2. If this guy got it, this guy can get it. It can always be done. you got to say, you've got to break that mentality of, oh, I can't, I just can't do it. You know, yeah, you can get up off your rump and go do it. You know, get it done some way somehow figure it out i mean that's i've had to do that all my life figure it out yeah i mean you you're
0: know? a first first generation farmer you didn't have a playbook you're creating your own playbook so that you're gonna be sharing that with people
1: yeah and you know i didn't i had a hard life just to be honest with you you know i haven't had my family since i was 13 so there's been a lot of figuring it out and i think that carries over into my farming you know some somebody may come out my driveway and tell me, no, well, that don't mean nothing to me. The world's full of people. You just got to find that one fish, you know, get it done. But I don't want to hear it. You know, somebody, you know, I have employees all the time say, I can't. I say, I don't want to hear that word. Don't tell me you can't because you can. not Well, I can't. Yeah, you can. Do it. Figure it out. And that's what I've had to do all my life is just figure it out. And that's, like I said, that's carried over into my farming. Uh, another thing I want to, to speak on is being proactive. Don't sit here. And wait on thresholds the bugs and da-da-da-da. you have got to be proactive in all of this. I've never had anything fall in my lap. I've had to go out and hunt for it. You, you have to be proactive in, in every every step of this, you know, as far as seed variety, seed placement, planter set up, you know, so on and so forth. You have to be proactive in that in order to achieve these high yields. I got inline rippers. I got a... I got a new 2660 vertical tillage tool from deer. And I used to run around here with sort of like mulch finishers, whatever, and we would all go scuff the ruts in or whatever. But this 2660 vertical tillage tool, I think is uh, by far one of the best tools deer has ever put out. It works really good in no-till as far as incorporating residue and whatnots. We use it for warming the soil up in the spring. It's what we use it for. I like to, what I do, what I call tickle tillage. We'll just tickle the ground a little bit. And what that does is it lets that sun radiate that heat off of that ground. And you will actually get the ground temperature to, to raise up about five or six degrees. And where it should be that's what we found here on our farm plant health stress mitigators there is several different kinds of stress mitigators out there Kelpine is going to be in almost all of them kelp which is seaweed basically it's all about how that seaweed is processed for it to be the best stress mitigator you know there on the end like i said just never giving up on the crop work it all the way through you know once we get into tassel from that point on We're working on grain field. What I mean by that is we're trying to fill that ear all the way to the hip. We don't want any dent to amount to anything. I don't have the ability to water my corn because we're all dry land. But what I can do is keep feeding that crop. And try to cut down that dent a little bit. Uh, I want big kernels. When you're trying to do what we're trying to do, you want a hybrid that has a pretty good sized kernel. Uh, you want to be able to take that kernel and lay it over the top of a dime and it cover that whole dime. Up. That's how you try to pick that hybrid that's going to push you into this three and four hundred bush uh, mark. We've we've harvested some four hundred bushel corn. We've never registered four hundred bushel corn. Uh, So I think we're real close into breaking into that 400-bushel club. I think we still have a few more things to figure out. Do I think it's going to be a cakewalk? No way. Like I said, I think we're real close, though. Uh, If we can get Mother Nature to play ball a little better, up until recently, she's been playing chess and I've been playing checkers. (laughs) you got to have a lot of things working in tandem, when you're dry it's not easy at all because crop gets stressed. And the only way that I can take the stress load off of it is through fungicides and stress mitigators. And I have to be constantly on top of that, constantly watching that corn Every night to see how far it is stressed. And I also come out of a morning and I want to see how soon it starts rolling up. You know, if I come out the door at 7 o'clock in the morning, it's already rolled up. We're in trouble. Anytime you see the nighttime temperature with a 7 in front of it, you're losing yield. Oh, man. Six or seven bushel is what you're losing. That, you want it to say 60, 68, 65, somewhere along in there at night. That corn plant has to respirate. It's just like us. When we work out here in the hot sun all day long, the first thing we want to do of the afternoon is come run and take a shower and sit down in a refiner. Well, Corn plant's the same way. It has to have a breather, and that's its time to breathe is at night. It has to be able to cool down. Here in the south, we don't have a lot of cool-down periods. We have bad humidity. This will be my first time up into the Corn Belt, uh, yeah, so to speak. Perfect. I was gonna say it's
0: this is this is new territory for you, so you got to be pretty uh, pretty excited about this.
1: I've never been up into that part of the country. Uh, Kentucky's as far as I've been. Well, I say that I've been up in there. I've just been in the dark. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've right. never been in the daylight. You know. You know. It's 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 definitely different terrain up there, and I know that it's different dirt. But here's 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 the takeaway from it. It's still sold. If I'm doing. I like to box up some of this dirt and bring it up there and throw it on the table and just show them. You should do it. Bring it. Just show them what I'm literally working with here. This dirt, low CCs, I'm talking less than 1%. Low organic matter, I think 1.32 organic matter, terrible. And this is... This has come from, you know, back in the, we've always board plowed, been in the cotton business. We've board plowed ever since lower the 70s, all the way up to probably 95 ish. You know, we used to run around here with 15 to 20 moldboard plows running at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we ran two crews, one a day, one at the night. And we ran around the clock. That's the only way we could ever plow 6,000 acres. Doing that created a lot of problems. But that was the way we combated weeds, you know, in the cotton. Because there there is no good chemistry to kill weeds and cotton. There still isn't to date other than dicamba. And it's just about played its course, too. We created a lot of problems. We lost a lot of our our topsoil. It ended up in the bottoms. We eroded a lot of hills, and we didn't know any better. Now we know better. I want them to be able to learn something from this, Uh, not not get stuck in a rut. Yeah. Because a rut's nothing but a grave with the ends kicked out. Farmers are creatures of habit. We do it this way because it's easy, or this is the way my granddaddy done it, my daddy done it, this is the way I'm going to do it. You cannot have that mentality with $4 and 75 cents corn and $8 beans, or you'll be broke.
0: And if you want to hear more from Eric, you can check him out in person at the National Strip Tillage Conference coming up August 2nd through 4th in Bloomington, Illinois. Head to striptillfarmer.com for more information and to register. Until next time, for all things strip till, head to striptillfarmer.com. I'm Noah Newman. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.